for trainers, collectives, and individuals that were looking for a program to follow that was chud-free or perhaps one that came directly from us, there is Liberation Martial Arts Online. Thanks to KP, Christopher Marion, and Ranji Bhagwat for signing up. If you want to sign up for Liberation Martial Arts Online or want to increase your financial support for the Southpaw Project, you can find special tiers on our Patreon. You can also sign up for Liberation Martial Arts on Substack. If you'd like to listen to all of our shows without any breaks or interruptions, you can also find uncut versions of our shows along with Fighters Brew and SDS9 also on Patreon and Substack. This is Sam. This is Maurice. And this is Fight Study. This episode was sponsored by SH, Alejandro, Ronde J, Berkshire People's Gym, and New Guy. Become a sponsor and not only get a mention on every episode, but also a monthly training session with me. Sign up on Patreon. Today on Fight Study, we have returning guest Maurice Shelton. Maurice is a Black American MMA fighter, coach, activist, and actor living in Japan. Glad to have you back, Maurice. Thank you for having me. So the reason you're here is because you wanted to talk about Francis Ngannou, or Comrade Francis, I like to call him, (laughs) and his recent PFL deal and the reactions and just hate he's been getting from the MMA martial arts community. So should we just get into it, Maurice? Yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so um, some people have asked me in the past, um, who are my favorite sports figures? And usually um, the the names that come to mind are someone like Muhammad Ali, for example, Um, someone who was actually willing to stand up and get knocked down for the sake of the greater good. Um, obviously, uh, in combat sports, it's a, it's a very individualistic sport, but at the same time, it's a contradiction. It's a, it's a conundrum because uh, <laughs> you have people, they'll say it's me, 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 when they're, they have the microphone in front of them, but usually they have a team behind them, right? But uh, the, the, the focus is on the individual, even though it's a, it's a collective effort that builds the person up to, to be able to uh, maybe stick their neck out for the rest of uh, their crew or their team or their organization. So even with someone like uh, Muhammad Ali, uh, when he was able to puff his chest out and say, hey, I'm not going to Vietnam, I'm going to be a conscientious objector, uh, despite the criticisms of that organization that stood behind him, the Nation of Islam, he had a team behind him that was backing him up. Even though he fell on hard times, he still had a support network of people uh, that would uh, pick him up while he was being uh, pushed down by uh, the powers that be. So now we have someone like uh, Francis Ngannou. And, and Sam, I'll just tell you, like I was listening to some of the old footage um, before um, Dr. Gerald Horn, uh, Triple OG. Um, I've read a lot of his stuff. I would never hope to be in the same uh, stratosphere as someone like a, a scholar like uh, Dr. Horn, but uh, his work has greatly influenced how I look at um, solidarity within the spaces that I, I move in. Um, me being a, a Black person uh, within the empire, uh, the 
I guess you could say the Asian wing of the American empire. I'm, <laughs> I'm here in Japan. That's all considered part of the West now. Like South Korea is part of the West. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to get go down the, the, the rabbit hole in terms of like how we got to the to this place. But um, one of the things that he's helped me realize, and, uh, among other scholars and other thinkers, is that um, to overcome the ills and the the systemic sicknesses that are forced upon us today as people of uh, marginalized experience. Um, there is no win without solidarity. So someone like Francis Ngannou saying, hey, I want to look out for the guy who's who's trying to take my head off within the cage. You know, I want a, a guaranteed minimum. I don't know anybody who's actually in this modern iteration of combat sports has actually done that publicly while also having to deal with people lying on his name. Let's put that solidarity into perspective because he also knows if you fight him, you might get blackballed by Dana White. So he's really taking care of you, right? Somebody else could be like, hey, I give you a, a half a million, be happy. But Francis recognizes that, no, like this person might be risking the rest of their career. So with this one fight, I want to make sure they're set up despite any consequences that Dana White can try to make. Mm-hmm, exactly. And what what was just was jarring for me, and again, to, re- to refer to Dr. Horn and, and other scholars, when we talk about the history of sport, especially within the current iteration that we see now, uh, the foundation is based in race and racist tropes. Uh, we have the great white hope. We have uh, uh, the idea of the, the ubermensch or the, the Superman rising above all to dig deep and to, to win despite um, those, those systemic forces that we don't want to talk about because if we actually talk about them in public or if we, we mention them um, explicitly, then we might, uh, we might initiate uh, revolutionary uh, tendencies among the masses. So then we, uh, p- you you have P.T. Barnum type figures like Dana White, or even you can you can go even further with One o- FC like um, Chatry. You know, we're just we're doing a shell game. We're kind of distracting you and just saying, hey, well, this guy is talking about stuff over here. Don't look at the real issue of why. Uh, for example, if you can throw out a number like one hundred twenty thousand dollars for. Uh, a heavyweight champion of an organization that is making billions of dollars. Let's not talk about healthcare. Let's not talk about a union. Let's not talk about the, the same ills that affect a, a nobody like me. I'm a tomato can relative to any of these people that we're talking about in the UFC, UFC, Bellator, or even, even Ryzen or uh, uh, some of the uh, local uh, fighting, fighting organizations. We all share the same experience of how are we going to feed our families? How are we going to feed our team? If we don't fight, we don't eat. And if we if we we don't play the game, then we can't win. So it's a very um, contradictory thing when you have someone that uh, will take the microphone and say, "Hey, thank you, Dana White, for this fifty thousand dollars," knowing 
that that fifty thousand dollars is getting eaten right up, and it's not even a. I think uh, I forget the numbers. Uh, I did I did a little bit of research before, but the, even with the, the the bookkeeping that the the UFC Endeavor Group now they take uh, maybe eighty five percent of the, the the money. Yeah, the revenue. The revenue, yeah. So we we're, the revenue is the revenue share is ridiculous. You're not even getting a quarter of the revenue. I think John Nash reported that it's dropped. Yeah, it's dropped. Yeah, in the UFC's most profitable year, which I guess makes sense. Part of why they had a record-breaking year was they screwed over the fighters more. And and here's the thing: I talk to people in my own orbit all the time. You know, just anybody listening to this, they know I'm like a I'm an info junkie, and I try to make people aware of the fact: like, if you have someone on mic complaining about the fact that they had to work a second job while they were getting ready for a fight or they are not happy with their pay or even though that they're doing something that they really love, like getting to knock somebody out um, in front of millions of people, um, they still are victims to economic forces and that we should always be mindful of the fact that uh, just because we're watching them on the screen, that doesn't mean that they're on a pedestal above us. The, the same bad stuff that could happen to someone that might be, they're in the same class. Okay, I can give another example. Like a Phil Baroni. I remember reading about him. He lost his house. Now he's, uh, he, he caught a murder beef, but he'd probably be the first one to say, hey, shut up and just fight. Don't, don't talk about like uh, uh, why the fighters should like join a union and, and, and band together and make sure that they're taken care of and we have a pension and we have healthcare and all that stuff. Shut up and fight. Stop being weak. You know, this is one on one, mano y mano. So um, now you have somebody like that who might need a, you might need a, the services of a, a pension or like a, a, a collective fund to help him through these rough times. You know, even though he might be guilty of the crime, hey, we all need a little help from our friends. Well, there was like years of not having health care where he could have even gotten mental health treatment because there's a brain toll to the sport. Exactly, and. For me, you know, I've taken my lumps. I got out. I'm still in the game, but I still got out in time where I, you know, I can still string together a few sentences and I'm not, <laughs> you know, we were just talking about before we started recording, you know, like, yeah, there, there might've been times where I could have found myself. I could have been like Rampage Jackson about 15 years ago when Uncle Dana bailed him out when he was driving around and uh, he was uh, held at gunpoint by all those cops in California that one time. Yeah. That story got buried. It got buried and he had a good reason why he was being held up by those cops. But guess what? Uh, if we had a better system in place and we wouldn't have to deal with a story like that. Right. Um, but here was the thing for me. I want anybody hearing this uh, in the future to know that it's time to stop playing around. So especially and I, I'm talking, I, I, I at the risk of preaching to the choir, I know a lot of the stuff that I'm saying right now. Um, has been said before time and time again and, and probably more articulately um, and more succinctly. But for example, if you go into a space and someone says something homophobic or someone says something racist or uh, even transphobic or anything there that shows that they have bully tendencies, it's time not to actually, I don't, want, I don't mean this physically or actually, but figuratively, to punch them in the mouth and to stand your ground. Because these are the, the, the battles that we need to fight to make sure that 
when we have an online campaign to uh, to to tarnish or to to minimize the concerns of a of a, a champion, and I call this guy capital C champion of the people, like Francis Ngannou, where he says it's not just about the money because it really isn't. Because after in the, at the end of the day, the money gets spread out, and then what? If your people are not taken care of, how do you call yourself a boss? How do you call yourself uh, one of the people if others in your circle are suffering? Uh, to quote Rick Ross, a boss is one who guarantees that we gonna eat. We sit at the table. The champion makes sure that the people are taken care of. That's why Muhammad Ali was so great. He's still alive in our memories today because he actually took care of the people around him. He fought. He spoke. He used what was most powerful, which was his voice, to speak up for those who could not speak for themselves. So again, for me, I'm an advocate for people with disabilities, and that's that's another thing that I always uh, want people to remember if they remember anything about me is that I will fight for those who cannot fight for themselves or who are not in a position to to defend themselves in that uh, particular situation. Um, you had mentioned something in your writing before about self-defense. No, we want to learn martial arts because it's fun, because it's uh, something that expresses our freedom of movement and our freedom of spirit. We don't want to be reactive. We want to be proactive. So when you see me having fun doing something that I love, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to try to come in my space and try to shit on my parade. You know, you're not going to sit there and say that I'm not uh, worthy of the the accolades and of the the praise that I I deserve for being a champion and being a a proponent of the people's best interests. Um, now, again, um, anybody that knows me knows this. I, I propose there are no heroes. I I, I completely agree with Ellen May's of stance of no masters. I think that everybody is flawed, but we can re- recognize the humanity in one another to to understand that we're all looking for the same thing. Now, if you take a, a fascist turn or you take a heel turn and you say, hey, well, I know better than others, then that's when you need to take a seat. That's where I call the people that are actually interested in building up others so they can be a better version of themselves. Sit them motherfuckers down. Punch them in their teeth figuratively. And if it comes to it, they put their hands on you, then that's when you, you know, you can throw the fisticuffs. But with our ideal, um, ideological disagreements on, on um, whether or not uh, a fighter should be paid for their labor fairly, this is something that we have to draw a line on. We cannot compromise on, well, uh, someone like uh, Francis Ngannou, well, he was... You know, I I saw all the galleries saying, oh, he was stupid. Why would he not just take the money? Why is he scared of John Jones? And they're believing these things that uh, Dana White and his uh, his uh, minions are are spreading out there to try to change the narrative. And they, they fall for a hook, line and sinker. It's a, it's a story as old as time itself. When you have somebody that's controlling the means of production and control, especially nowadays, where the means of production for many people in these situations, someone like a Jake Paul, the Paul brothers, they, they, I have many disagreements with who they are as a online person, as online personas, but they are right in terms of trying to make sure that fighters and even, you know, a fighter as a performer, 
is taken care of after the lights go off because nobody cares about you. You know, I know this firsthand. Nobody cares about you when you lose, except the people that brought you up to that point. So if you take care of those people, those are the ones that when you fall down, they cushion that fall. And then we all, we can all spread that risk and spread the suffering of of living in this capitalistic hellhole sometimes. <laughs> those are the people that actually pick you up when you're down. When the lights go off and the, the camera turns off and everybody goes back home, your people and community are the ones that are going to make sure that you're taken care of. So it's, it should be some reciprocity there um, in the form of local organizations, activist organizations, unions. Uh, we have uh, resource sharing all the time um, where I'm from, where, hey, you can't pay now, pay later. You know, um, I think um, someone like Francis Ngannou, especially because of the fact that he comes from the diaspora, so, you know, I, I recognize myself as someone part of the Afri- African diaspora. And I, I, as someone who has come up uh, as an American and recognizing my privilege um, as an American within the American empire, but also recognizing that I am still part of many marginalized groups. Um, I, I, I understand the allure of people in his, uh, in Francis's uh, position to just say, you know what, let me just cash out because I've reached out to other champions before. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but some of them are current champions now. Um, maybe it starts with an I, you know, where they're consuming the, the same tropes that Dana White and his ilk love because it keeps them distracted from the real issues uh, that affect the masses. Um, yeah, you know who I'm talking about, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that relates to uh, a question I have for you, and I think it'll end up there. Because you started out talking about Gerald Horn and how sports, mainstream sports as we know it, and especially sports in America was built off of racism, right? We talked about that. And Francis Ngannou being very black, right? Like he's from Africa. So I'm even talking about how like often the media, you know, even when they're talking about like, especially darker people of color, whether they're black, brown, who are darker complexion, the media prefers not to focus on them. And they're like, okay, is there somebody who's like a little bit lighter skinned version of that person, right? So Francis is not that, right? He is unapologetically African and black. And he's talked about racism before. So do you think some of the backlash and reactions that Francis Ngannou is getting is related to racism? Almost certainly. I think um, you can juxtapose his his stance and his his exit from the UFC with someone like um, Aljamain Sterling. Jamaican. Uh, from Long Island, he he's building himself up uh, as the narrative is going to play out that he was a company man and then he got jilted by the same forces that are going to try to push someone like a sugar uh, uh, sugar O'Malley. <laughs> I almost call him Sugar Shane, Sugar Sean O'Malley, um, into the the champions position where uh, white guy Irish uh, Irish American. Uh, he has Irish ancestry, um, where 
he's getting fast tracked um, or you have someone who is going to play uh, into the the stereotypes of what it means to be uh, uh, a beneficiary of Dana White privilege. So you have someone who's an obvious chud, um, like a Michael Chandler or even Conor McGregor. I mean, he, I'll give Conor McGregor his his respect in terms of he 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 knew how to work the mic. He knew how to manipulate the media apparatus uh, that was in front of him, and he he maximized uh, the opportunity. But it didn't it didn't obscure the fact. And I saw this uh, when he he was uh, promoting the Mayweather fight. You know, uh, taking advantage of racial tropes, um, taking advantage of people who obviously had racial animus against someone like a Mayweather, despite all his uh, negative uh, aspects and, and translating that into to revenue at the gate and for pay-per-view um, numbers. A note to our listeners. If you love the Southpaw Project, please support us and help us get paid for our labor by financially supporting us on Patreon. This will give you access to exclusive bonus content like early releases of Southpaw Deep Space Nine, our fictional narrative podcast, Fighters Brew, break-free versions of our shows without interruptions like you're hearing now, bonus articles, Fighters Brew transcripts with extra content, Liberation Martial Arts Online, as well as our private chat group on Discord. You can also make one-time donations at Ko-Fi or show your solidarity by wearing our swag. You can find all pertinent links at southpawpod.com. I think um, Francis Ngannou's story of empire, you know, he's from Cameroon, which is still under the control of the French empire or neocolonialism. You can't make this story up. I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to try. I I hope that he has the movie rights because I would love to, like, see how they're going to bring this uh, story to to the screen. homeless, trying to fight in Paris, meets up with his coach, another person um, that is only in our in our thoughts because of colonialism and neo-colonialism and imperialism. Um, dark skin, unambiguously black, too. It's not like, you know, with Cyril Gaon, you know, he's, he's Martinican, you know, he's kind of lighter skin and he likes to play FIFA and all that. So, like, I, I feel like some people are trying to maybe push the needle towards him because it's like, yeah, you can, you can, as someone who's dark skinned, I, I see colorism all the time, but it's, it's one of those things. It's very unconscious. It's, it's very subtle. Um, um, you, you hear, you see it in other stories, you know, like uh, all throughout Europe, you know. We, uh, I have this argument with my European friends all the time. They say, "Well, oh, we're not really racist," but then you hear the stories like with Vicinius Junior, you know, in La Liga. They're, you know, they're just straight up calling you a monkey and saying all these things, throwing bananas at you, and they say, "Oh, we're not racist. Oh, we don't care about color." But you hear about it all the time, you know, in places like Italy or Spain, or, um, even in Germany, um, in the UK, where they, they're, they are the originators of what we have uh, now in, in terms of modern uh, racial bigotry. And uh, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of why people are attacking Francis's um, um, intelligence, his manager's intelligence and all the people around him who happen to be non-white. Yeah, you can't call it anything else but racism. And again, when we talk about class solidarity, 
again, this is for me, it's a clarion call for those who claim to be leftists, who claim to be progressive, or even even those who say that, oh, I'm centrist or liberal. And it's like, I got smoke for you too. If you can cast aside your racial bias for just a second, just to see what's going on, it would help the struggle way, way, way more than you just sitting there saying, well, I just want to watch the fights. You know, if you can confront that in your day-to-day life and just understand that, yeah, um, just to be honest with yourself, look at yourself in the mirror. How many people that you actually roll with when you go to a jujitsu gym? How many, how many of the fighters that you actually like are dark skinned, um, African or African Americans or people of the diaspora? And why do you cheer against those people? If they do, if they are outspoken, um, someone like Aljamain Sterling, like if he, if he puts some goals in his mouth, he has a goal chain. Why do you hate that? If he does talk, if he does say, Hey, um, I will take the belt after I get illegally need under the rules that were set up for. Why are you so angry at that? Because you have never gotten into the ring with someone like a Peter Yan. Why are you so mad at that? Um, someone, why do you cheer John Jones instead of uh, someone like Francis Ngannou? Let's get into that because there are fans and people who are like, racism has nothing to do with this, right? Because even though I'm hating and attacking Francis Ngannou, I love John Jones, right? So they play behind this like myth, which everybody knows is bogus, right? I can't be racist. I have a black friend, right? And the sports <laughs> version of that is like racist or like, I am a fan of a black athlete, so I can't be racist. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, the history of U.S. sports is built on racist, like racist can like black athletes. So going back to MMA, then there's obviously fighters you don't like. And racists even like certain black fighters if the athlete acts in a certain way. Exactly. So going back to Rampage Jackson, right? During that era, mm-hmm. Rampage Jackson was an athlete the UFC fans liked. But at the same time, there was Rashad Evans. He was somebody they didn't like, right? And then you got Tyron Woodley. Yes. Definitely, they didn't like him. And then Aljamain Sterling. But then they do like John Jones. Yes. Right? There's definitely like, okay, that's the kind of black fighter I like. Francis Ngannou, Tyron Woodley, Aljamain Sterling, these are the ones we don't like, right? So what is it about racist that there's a certain type of black athlete like Ali, right? They don't like, and then these are the ones they find acceptable. I think is um, again, we're American, so I think uh, there's an American slant to it. But you can you can apply this to European and Asian and even African uh, iterations of uh, any sport. But if we're talking about MMA, and you know, it's dominated by uh, a, an American organization like UFC Endeavor, I think um, UFC W. I, I forget what they're going to call it. The, the it's going to be like TKO, TKO Endeavor or something like that. <laughs> the stock symbol is TKO, which is the WWE plus UFC. Yes, I think it. It's a result of a long tradition of uh, subconscious and unconscious uh, media conditioning because of the the current system that we the economic system that we all as americans enjoy um it depends on the exploitation of people that look like these fighters that look like you that look like other people like uh if we're talking if we want to be even more granular like um 
someone who looks like a colonizer, but who is not. You need a, the comprador class. You need uh, uh, people that are going to keep others in line. Uh, you know, we could talk about like Canelo Alvarez, Saul Alvarez, you know, they call him Canelo, you know, he's cinnamon, but he, he looks white, but he's Mexican, very Mexican, you know. Um, we can get behind him, even though he, I'm pretty sure he knew how to fight early on because he got picked on for being light skinned and, and a redhead, a ginger. Yeah. Um, someone like a rampage Jackson, and I, I, I'll admit if you go, if you, somebody wants to stalk me and really like go back through my social media presence over the past two decades, like I love a rampage Jackson. He, I related to him because he was a Southern dude who was pretty much unfiltered. Um, in his early uh, pride career, um, maybe not the most technical guy, but very strong. His name is Rampage because, you know, like the game, he was just going around like breaking stuff, you know. And that appealed to a certain part of me because he was something that I always wanted to be without repercussions. <laughs> um, but a lot of the stuff that he said, if you go back and look, it's like, yeah, this is the type of stuff that reinforces the tropes and the stereotypes that races uh, hold about people that look like me and Rampage. You know, I love Quentin um, as a as a persona, but I have to recognize that the same things that attract me to him are the same, same things that attract someone that uh, drives a pickup truck and wears Oakleys and has a dog Abby in all of their their profile pictures. And, and they love Trump and they they hate uh socialism even though they don't know what socialism is um uh, someone like izzy um again i don't want to i don't want to throw anybody away because again if we're talking about being on the leftist uh side of things and trying to organize people a lot of times i was in the room with people like izzy you know and maybe not as skilled as him but like in the same they've, they've taken the tr same trajectory where they would, they would get along to get along with those guys that might have been in a senior position at the gym or on or on the mats or in the dojo or like when we're trying to just socialize uh, within those circles when we, we get through practicing. They're not going to say anything that's going to rock the boat because their situation is precarious. You know, if you, if you look at uh, Izzy's um, background, he's like a double immigrant kind of, you know, he's uh, in New Zealand, he's like, he's black and he's a foreigner, you know, like, uh, but he's not like the same. He's not a black fella. He's like a black guy from like Africa. He's not like an indigenous black person. He's like black and he speaks like a different language than English. And yeah, he's going to try to get along to get along. That's fine. Same with Tyron Woodley, you know, when he was a champ, um, the main knock against him was that he was uh, not exciting, even though he was a very explosive fighter in his in his prime but when it was time to really speak against some of the things that uh dana and the people that were behind the scenes were doing it was very hard for him because yeah he's he's torn because he has to protect his position his his own financial um well-being uh, while still maintaining the veneer of a champion um because he's from ferguson you know he's from ferguson missouri so while he was champ you know you have the uprisings going on in missouri um, you have like the psyops and all the stuff that's going on with BLM and all the other stuff like where people are trying to give out disinfo and misinfo and trying to diffuse the, the revolutionary potential of uh, people that are against 
state violence against black and brown and indigenous people. You have someone like a Tyron Willie who is from those those same areas getting pressed and getting pressured by, uh, you know, straight up corporate power, you know, because that's what Dana White represents. When they have a wink and a nod about like Dana White privilege, you have someone like a Cowboy Cerrone who I don't know how many fights he's had, but he can drop the M-bomb and there's no backlash, you know. Uh, you have reports of like many fighters beating up their wives or girlfriends or partners, someone like a John Jones hitting uh, pregnant uh, women and running off with his car, you know. Um, these people, um, and I, I said this about John Jones a long time ago, and, I, and again, I don't like talking about black folks in public, you know, in the negative light, but one of the things that first came to mind when all this stuff happened, when he was champion, and then he had all the controversy and all the, the legal troubles that he must not have people around him in his circle that have his best interests at heart because he is fulfilling that the positive stereotype of the black boogeyman or the Superman or like the hyper masculine person. And that's provided him a sense of invulnerability, you know, cause he has those people that are eating off of his image and eating off of like uh, his, his athletic prowess. They're going to enable the bad behavior that would allow him to, um, you know, become John Jones because John Jones wasn't John Jones like 15 years ago, but he was doing still doing some of the stuff that, you know, you would see a typical um, black athlete that doesn't have his name. They would get arrested for all the way and they would be thrown away very easily under our carceral system. So I think um, we have the wink and the nod. We have the plausible deniability. Oh, I just don't like Aljamain Sterling because he didn't go out on his shield or uh, he 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 fights boring fights, um, but it's really no. You have sock puppets, and you have other people that are vested in um, the face of MMA not being black and brown. Why is Anderson Silva not like a global household name? In, in my opinion, one of the best to ever do it, despite all of the the controversies with the uh, um, the PEDs. But he didn't speak English and unambiguously black he wasn't like a brazilian like we think of like a you know the eraser you know like with his secret juice you know he can just play around um and and joke with a wink and an eye with usada and all that no he's he's black all the way um but and he didn't try to hide it but he didn't speak english um you can put you you have those same people you can um you can ignore uh jose uh, pele landy jones in favor of someone who is a Bolsonaro supporter like Jose Aldo, very great champion. But guess what? He's a fascist um, and he supports things that the typical MMA fan would. And that will give him cover as someone who might look a little black. But it's like, no, he's one of the good ones. So um, the the exceptions of these people, because I tell you this, just in, in, in my own uh, online experience, um, some of the most racist things I've ever seen come out of like people's like keyboards has been from someone who had their profile picture as like a, a, of a black athlete. Yep. <laughs> it was just like this, this gives you cover to say, well, I don't believe all of you people are uh, inferior to me because this guy is obviously an Uberman. She's a Superman, you know, Overeem, Uberim, you know, like I love this guy. So I, I can't possibly think, uh, that, uh, 
I'm a racist, you know, like, <laughs> look, I, I love this guy, you know, um, he's, 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 he's one of the good ones, even though secretly we know what goes on in those, uh, chat rooms and, and message boards and, and, uh, Twitter threads. So I think it's, it's just, it's one of those things where you, and many people have said this, don't ever try to, um, when someone is committed, their, their existence, their income, their, their very, uh, way of life, their livelihoods are dependent on subjugating you or misunderstanding you. Don't, don't misunderstand, uh, or don't try to make excuses for them when they say, oh, well, I don't see racism. I don't see color. I only see the color of your belt when we're rolling and doing <laughs> jujitsu, you know, <laughs> like, D- let's just keep it honest, you know, because a lot of the people that I I've worked with before and that um I've uh I've trained with and trained, um their very existence depends on not seeing color. Colorblind racism is a is a very big thing in, in especially in MMA and, and jujitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I should say, because I think there was a, a thread that was at resurface, you know, uh, the it's talking about the biography of um uh Hickson Gracie and like how just ridiculously like uh fascistic and and just pro police and just everything that's wrong with what we we see in the the world like not just in the combat world but just in the world today like yeah the Gracie family they're they're it <laughs> and it's like yeah if you have somebody that has dedicated maybe 5 10 15 years of their life to following the teachings of a person like that or people like that, then of course they're not going to see when someone drops the M-bomb on someone that looks like me or uh, they're participating in racist tropes or they're they're bullying people uh, for some unknown reason. It's just, you know, we have the cover reason right here. We have plausible deniability. But actually, I really just don't like this guy because of all the things that I learned about you know black people or brown people or whatever you know it's they're they're commit they're 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 committed to not see to to be willfully ignorant and i and i call on people that are listening to me now if you really want solidarity you have to confront that willful ignorance within yourself first and then to also be to to find enough love for your fellow person especially those on the left to actually call it out and to confront it when you see it, don't let it slide. And I, I speak for myself. You know, I'm I'm telling to my telling this to myself right now. Whenever I see like if we're um, if I see people like in the Southpaw community, and it's like, yeah, you like this person, but really, why do you dislike the other person? Or like, why are you a fan of somebody, uh, fan of somebody's downfall? You know, um, if, for example, like when we talk about um, uh, Izzy, how many people were gloating when he got knocked out by um, Pereira, you know, um, those same people that were saying, okay, well, we like the fact that Izzy is a Jordan Peterson fan and he likes Andrew Tate and all these other clowns, you know, when he did get knocked out, all those people turned on him. Pepper Schwab remembers, you know, so when he came back, it's a great redemption story. It's a beautiful story in terms of combat, but then you have people that just just a week ago, about a week ago, you know, they're, they're, they're crowing and they're saying, oh, look at him. He got his block knocked off. Finally, we shut him up, you know, because he's too cocky. He's too uppity. You know, the same things that they would say about like a, like a Jack Johnson or Muhammad Ali, or you can even go further like a Sugar Ray Robinson or Ray Leonard, 
um, too uppity, too sure of himself. We got to cut him down to size. We got to make sure that he knows his place. Even though this person is spouting like conservative talking points and, and, and problematic views, he still needs to know his place within the hierarchy of things as they are. And um, I think that we as uh, people who claim to be progressive and claim to um, believe in equity and equality, not only in the mass, but just in life in general, because like you say in LMA, how you do one thing is how you do everything else. If you have enough love for someone in your family to, to call them in, then you must be able to call them in and call them, not just even call them in, but call them out. I like to say call them in, but like I, I whenever I, I lovingly confront somebody, I confront confrontation is not abuse. It's not, uh, conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. We need those things to, to grow. It's a painful thing. It's a painful process, but we must do it if we are going to succeed, if we're going to progress in a positive way. Um, whenever with my students, I tell them all the time to be your best friend. Now it's not a kumbaya thing. It sounds kind of fluffy and very kind of, um, it's inspirational. Yeah. But it's not all, it's not necessarily all sugar and and cinnamon and and sugar and spice and everything nice. You know, sometimes being your best friend is, is looking at yourself in the mirror and say, Hey, I fucked up. Hey, you fucked up. Or how can I be better? You know? Being able to recognize your faults and your foibles and recognizing that you made a mistake to be able to commune and to build cadre with other people, because sometimes you got to meet people where they are. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm never wrong. That, that doesn't work. That's what that's what the dark side does. That's what fascists do. I'm never wrong. So listen to me and shut up. And if you don't, then I crush you. No, we're all people, right? If you love the Southpaw Project, become one of our financial supporters. It'll help us supplement the cost of running this project, the incredible time and energy we put into it seven days a week, and you'll be giving us some breathing room, not only to juggle Southpaw with our day jobs, but also to expand Southpaw into other areas. We can't exist without your contributions. Show your Southpaw solidarity by supporting us at southpawpod.com. So with someone like a Francis who's saying, hey, I stood up for everybody behind closed doors. You know, when I sat across from Dana and, and, and the matchmakers and all these clowns that were saying, you know what? Be happy with the money that we're giving you and, and shut up. Um, admit that you were wrong. When, when, it, when, it, when the, it all shakes out, because we, we, we don't know what PFL Africa is going to be. We don't know what we don't know what the future holds for uh, Francis. but. It is monumental that he he's actually firmly putting himself at the table and setting it up for people that come behind him because we haven't seen people do that on the scale that he's done. And 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 thankfully the 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 rainbow in the in the boo boo pal of uh, social media is that now we can see you know we can we got the receipts you know when somebody is saying. One thing, well, no, we got somebody to say, oh, no, no, it's actually this, you know, because there's countless stories of fighters, even people like me that fought like 10, 15 years ago, where the promoters tell you one thing 
and the media is saying one thing about you, but it's a completely different thing. It's a complete lie. It's a complete fabrication, but there's no way for me to get out the, the true story because nobody's listening to me. But now we got social media. I can, I can blast out the true story about what happened behind the scenes or behind closed doors, you know? So kudos to Francis. Again, he's not a hero yet. But where's this support, right? To your point. Exactly. He's helping all these other people out, but there's been crickets, even from some of his, you know, people that should be some of his closest friends in MMA. They haven't said anything. And the ones who do are mostly criticizing him. And to your point, right? When you win, you have friends. When you lose, there's nobody there, right? But this is like the opposite where he's winning. And because he's winning and because of who he is, they're trying to cut him down. Exactly. And I think there's a little ditty that's out right now. It's like the haters anthem. And it's like, yeah, it must be, it must feel fantastic to be a hater and to just revel in mediocrity. And I call on people that claim to be extraordinary and to, uh, that claim to be more than mediocre, whether it's in fighting or just in the sport of MMA to just, Hey man, get on board, get on the bandwagon, at least like this is, this is bigger than you, you know, the fighters that are out there right now that, you know, behind, you know, in, in the group chat and I'm not naming any names, but in the group chat, you know, what he's saying is right. You know, that your, your stomach is grumbling too, but he took, he sat on the grenade for you. This is the time for you to actually start speaking up because if you don't do it now, it's never going to happen, bro. It's never going to happen. No, I'm talking to the pro fighters that that are creeping around and listening to stuff like this. It's never going to happen if you don't make it happen right now. What better time than now? Because you have people like a Francis who says, you know what? Hey, I am getting older and this is the time I have to use my leverage. When else am I going to use it? It's not, you know, you hear, you know, people like, um, like a Luke Rockhole, you know, you're on your way out and you're saying, yeah, maybe there should be, you know, you were supposed to say that when you had the belt around your belt, your, your waist, man, on your shoulder, you know, not when you, you're getting your teeth knocked out in, in BKFC by, you know, the rooster man over there, Mike Perry <laughs> dropping in bombs and stuff. Yeah. That's not the time to say, yeah, like, oh, actually, uh, Jake Paul got a point. Francis got a point. You were talking shit about, you know, the African brothers and all that stuff when you were you're on your way out. You were supposed to say that type of stuff. When you when you out in AKA and you're saying all these things, I just use Luke as an example because he has a he 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 knows how to work the mic. So those type of figures, if you're still in the world, you're supposed to be activating the people that come behind you to say, you know what? We see through the lies, we we see through the BS that Dana and other people are saying. Get on board because the dominoes are falling. The, the 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 system that we live under is unsustainable because if, if you if you live in America now and you see what's happening with all the the labor struggles now with the writer strike for example you have uh, when we talk about thieving you know we you know wage theft one of the biggest one of the biggest crimes known right now that's happening in our face you're letting people like Dana play in our faces you're letting them do that. Now, if you if you call yourself a fighter, if you call yourself someone who who's on the right side of history, well, goddamn it, you need to get up, you need to stand up right now and fight. Punch that fool back in his mouth, figuratively. The people that are sitting there sweating with you, 
rubbing their nasty bodily fluids on you. And then they start talking about, well, you know what? Uh, Francis is stupid because he didn't take the eight million and just look out for himself. No. Punch them in their chest. Fight back. This is the time. Your coach that is saying all these crazy conspiracy theories about, uh, uh, you know, uh, QAnon and, and Andrew Tate is a hero and, and Jordan Peterson is, is great. And, and Joe Rogan has a point about those people, you know? No, this is the time now because if you let it slide now, then there's no turning back. You're going to have to do so much work to get to, to reverse um, the, the damage that is being done by these fools. And, and if you, if, again, another mantra for me, like I tell my kids all the time, hey, eyes open, ears open, mouth open sometimes. This is the time that you open up your mouth. You suppose, when you're sitting there listening and you're, you're, you're seeing these things happen right in front of you. This is the time to actually say, you know what? stops here. At least I, you got to say something. If you're not going to do anything else, at least use your platforms and use your, your leverage, the little leverage that you have to join together and to say something. Because if you don't, you go, you're going to get steamrolled. You're going to get steamrolled. And then you're going to be wondering, well, why, why don't I have any protection? Why don't I have a safety net that's catching me? It's because you didn't say shit when it was time to say the things that you need to say. And that's behind closed doors when you're at the table, when you're, when you got the contract in front of you, because Francis did it and, and look what it got him. He was a heavyweight champion of the world. And, and in my opinion, one of the more dangerous uh, champions in a, in a historically weak division, he, he said something and now he's out of that organization. What do you think that's going to do for you? <laughs> you, you're, you're relatively nobody. So why not say something? You have nothing to lose. You got nothing to lose. So, um, again, for me, like, uh, and this goes out um, to the English speakers in, in Japan and Asia uh, and the ones that are fighting for organizations that might underpay you or might um, take advantage of your labor, whether it's in promotional activities, whether it's in just um, uh, the labor that you have to put in in the training camps or in the fight camp. Um, this is the time to start talking to people that are in your circles to to be graceful to be to be mindful of the fact that we're all human that we're all facing the same same struggles and that we we're fighting the same fight we're actually on the same team so this is the time to start talking not not on some macho bullshit oh i'm a stoic oh i'll i'll carry the load all by myself no you're not in it by yourself because you got a family right you have you have mouths to feed you have children you got to you got a partner that's waiting for you not to get your brains rattled or your your ligaments torn or your tendons uh, ripped. This is the time now because guess what? Uh, father time waits for no one and it is undefeated. It is undefeated. So if you don't do it now, then guess what? You'll be old and broken wondering why those young people haven't got their shit together. Why are they letting them do it? No, it's because you didn't look back and say, hey, let me lend my strength to this fight because you are stronger than you know. Be your best friend. <laughs> and to finish on the Francis Ngannou deal, the best part about it is, is this is just the MMA side and his MMA contract is open where he could also still box. So the boxing side is the deal that's potentially even more lucrative. And this kind of becomes then a blueprint 
for other fighters down the line where the only way you could fight Dana is to try to have a deal like this where you could compete in two sports and try to have two different deals. It's hard to go to just another MMA organization to fight Dana White or the UFC. You really need that combined might of MMA and boxing. And that's what Francis has shown other fighters. They're like, this is the kind of deal you want to make. This is the kind of deal Conor McGregor wishes he had right now, where he doesn't have an exclusive binding deal. But speaking of boxing, I know you said you wanted to talk a little bit about Devin Haney versus Vasily Lomachenko. Just to say this, I mean, and, and to tie it into the whole solidarity thing, um, I think um, going back to your point about leverage, right? So Francis, this should be a, a, a cautionary tale as well as a blueprint for many fighters that are coming up um, to be able to control the means of labor you need to have leverage against the people who claim to control everything that are in the capitalist uh, class and the elite class. Um, so I'm speaking from my own selfish perspective. Like I, I want fighters like um, at a lower, you know, that, that want to do like Francis, uh, to do like Francis, but like just with Japanese organizations, you know? So going back to Dr. Horn's uh, idea, you know, the only way that you're going to topple like white supremacy and like capitalist like exploitation is like solidarity within the marginalized groups, you know, black, Asian, uh, Latinx, uh, indigenous. Like we have to band together to crush that or to at least resist those things. Um, and and w- how that relates to boxing. Again, um, when we talk about the people who are cheering against you, you, you start to see, OK, who are your. Who are your real supporters? Now, Lomachenko, I think, has some of the best footwork I've seen in a long time in boxing. And it it should be studied, you know. Um, Haney has very good fundamentals. And and we saw something, um, despite who you thought won, and and I'm not going to get into, like, who I thought won or anything like that, but um, the people who are cheering for you, this is what, uh, again, I'm speaking to the, the the wannabe athlete or wannabe famous athletes and the people that are already have a platform, if you're listening out there, and even those who, who aspire to have people watching them uh, damage, each, uh, damage another person's brain cells in, in, in a squared ring, um, you cannot wait for anyone to engage you once you've made the decision to sign the dotted line and to fight. And I'm, I'm mentioning like someone like a Devin Haney. Uh, he, he had talked about not being afraid to take the loss. So I think um, this might be his daddy talking, you know, and I, I love seeing father-son combos, you know, Bill Haney, you know, he's somebody I want to be like kind of in terms of training uh, progeny. It's like, it, it's same with um, Lomachenko's father, you know, Vasily is, I mean, Vasil is like, Everything that if you if you teach your your kid to like do and he does it and it's like this is what you get like yeah I would love to like pick his brain even though he might be he might be a chud I don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like in terms of parenting and like maybe the style of like conditioning someone to to be able to um, smoothly operate in the ring like that it has to be studied. Well, they also thought outside the box, right? Because uh, the dad. I think even put Lomachenko in dance. Yeah, he was a dancer. Yeah, 
most coach dads don't think like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I try to tell some of the other coaches that I know and people that come to me for training, it's like, yeah, some of the best fighters are the best dancers. They have a sense of rhythm. They have a sense of, of tempo and spatial awareness that you get somebody that's, that comes from a background that's very stiff or they're kind of dorky or whatever, they're going to have issues. And Lomachenko, I think his main issue uh, in his losses is that, you know, somebody was just a little bit bigger than him and that they could push him around a little bit and they could neutralize um, his his ability to disrupt the time distance perception. Um, and Haney, again, I'm not going to get into that because that's I'm, I'm trying to save that uh, content for something else, like who actually won and whether it's a robbery. But um, boxing um, as leverage for people in the MMA world is a very it's a very key thing, you know, because you, you hear it every every big fight. Oh, boxing is dead or boxing ain't dead or you don't know shit about boxing. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Boxing brings out the best and the worst in people. Um, Devin Haney, a Muslim American, uh, you see you see it. People are hating. I mean, he doesn't really push his Islamic beliefs too much, but you, you kind of see the people that are maybe Islamophobic, they they're probably going to gravitate towards someone like a tank, Javante uh, um, Tank Davis. Um, unfortunately, you know, he's he's had trouble with the legal system. He's um, ran into some just domestic disputes, you know. I'm not going to get into uh, guilt or, like, innocence or anything like that, but, like, he fulfills a lot of the tropes of, like, uh, what it means to be a black fighter or a black prize fighter. Um, but prize fighting in and of itself with this uh, Haney Lomachenko thing, what I was really hopeful to see is that uh, it's, a, it's a resurgence of all the best people fighting because they're not afraid to take a loss. But I think uh, Haney's camp knew uh, going into this a very dangerous fight from uh, uh, for Lo, uh, for him uh, to face Lomachenko because Lomachenko is still he's still pretty young, you know. I mean, in, in fight years very you know very experienced but still you know relatively speaking i think he's like 30 um he's still pretty young um but still very dangerous he's still and he's only been a pro for like 10 years or something also because he had a long amateur career so as far as pro miles on his body he's still relatively young yeah he only yeah he only not even 20 fights yet pro as a pro so i think um um Haney kind of touched on it in his social media. He was like, yeah, you know, he, he got, uh, Lomachenko got kind of fast-tracked, you know? So you always, as a fighter and just people who are observing the fight game and, and combat sports and martial arts in general, like, uh, it's a cautionary tale. It's, it's something to be instructional. The people who come out against you are the people that you cannot talk against. Those who uh, can clap back at you or silence you or actually affect the, the money or the financial outcome or, or well-being of you, those are the people that you need to be focusing on. Focus on the fact that, like, um, the people that are holding the purse strings are allowing uh, someone like an Andrew Tate to still, you know, spout a lot of crazy stuff and pit the people that are training with you against you, you know, or uh, poison your mind against uh, train, uh, training, potential training partners who happen to present as female. That's what you need to be focused on, um, because that's the other thing too. Like uh, for me, like I have several group chats, and 
I'll, I'll link to stories like that, like uh, for example, Izzy um, talking about his uh, troubles with his uh, his ex girlfriend or whatever, and just to see, okay, this these people are misogynistic, you know, because you're talking crap about women like that, you know. Um, in a fight camp, you need supportive people. You cannot underestimate how important it is to have people in your corner that are speaking life into you, that are speaking positivity in you, into you, into your, into your, into your being, into your space, and most of all, not getting in your way, and not making it harder for you to to do the thing. And uh, if you have someone like that in your corner, whether they're your girlfriend, your boyfriend, partner, wife, husband, domestic uh, partner, whatever you want to call it. If you have somebody like that, they're worth their weight in gold. Um, just another another uh, clarion call to those fighters. And same for like uh, the the boxers out there with Laney and Lomachenko. Great story about listening to your parents. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as a parent. If you listen to your daddy, you can go far. You know, <laughs> I think. Uh, and I say that to all the kids out there that got a daddy that 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 claim to be a martial artist, hey, listen to your daddy because we've been there and we've, we've taken our lumps and we might know a thing or two. We're not just talking just to hear our own voice, okay? Uh, so if you watch Bill, if you watch Mr. Lomachenko, and, and again, you got eyes, you got ears, you can use your own uh, discernment. If, the, if your parents are crap, then that's one thing. But if, they're, if they've been training for like 20, 30 years on how to like beat people's faces in, then you might just want to watch him and listen to him for a little bit and then take what you you think applies to you and then discard the rest. You know, you can you can leave out the misogyny. You can leave it, leave out the homophobia and the racism <laughs> and, and take the fighting stuff. You can take that to heart. It, it is possible. I guarantee you. <laughs> Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? No, um, I'll just say shout out to all the people that have supported me up to this point. I'm very thankful for you all. Um. I'm still out here in Japan, so if anybody comes to visit Tokyo or anything like that, hit me up. Uh, my name is my name on social media, so um, yeah, I'm I'm also like um, branching out into announcing and um, more voice work. So like, keep an eye out for that stuff. You know, I I still love basketball too, so I, I don't know if if we ever like can uh, do a podcast episode about basketball, <laughs> the sport of basketball. But I would love to do that because there's some martial arts. Uh, overlapping that too. All right. Thank you, Maurice. All right. Thank you, Sam. If you like this episode and like what we do, support us on Patreon or Substack. We also have the Liberation Martial Arts Program. If you want to train with us from wherever you are, you'll find lots of techniques, exercises, theory, pedagogy, and even political theory. You can even get a monthly training session with me, either in person or online, depending on your location. We also have Fighters Brew, which is a manga-inspired martial arts audio series, as well as Fighters Brew transcripts that include martial arts tutorials. You can find Liberation Martial Arts online, along with Fighters Brew, on Patreon and Substack. You can find Southpaw merch at our store. You can find all pertinent links on the show notes, or by going to southpawpod.com. With all that said, thanks for listening.